Hey, it's Irving, and you are listening to Asians in Space. I would like to begin by acknowledging that I am fortunate enough to write, record, and produce this podcast on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples. Before I introduce my guest this week, a few housekeeping notes. Um, I do this podcast on my own and am grateful for all the guests that have been on, and I have enough episodes lined up to run until the end of the month. I originally had travel plans in April and was going to take either the entire month or part of the month off and come back in May. However, with the pandemic, those trips have been canceled. And in terms of reaching out to more guests to fill an entire new month, um, that is an option to record either one-on-one or remotely or whatever we figure out. Or for the extra months, while if I can't find guests, uh, to change the format up, and it's just me talking about something in regards to the Asian diaspora. Um, if you have any suggestions or ideas or something you want me to discuss, or have questions for me to answer, DM me on Asians in Space. That's on Instagram. And regardless of all that, please stay safe, practice social distancing, and don't be dumb. And shout out to y'all, whether you've been listening since January or if this is your first episode, Asians in Space won't be going any, going away anytime soon. Now, I am joined this week in conversation with actor and artistic producer for Universal Limited Theater, Yoshie Bancroft. This week, we dive into the larger theme of what it means to navigate the ocean that is art as activism and all of the peaks, valleys, and waves that live there. idea of the episode today is something you said when we were corresponding beforehand was the idea of art as activism so I guess my first question for you is what does telling stories and performing uh, unlock for you I know it's a big question it's a huge question I only ask big questions on this podcast apparently (laughs) (laughs) what do telling stories unlock for me I think that um in terms of my my childhood, my youth, I was a very uh, shy, quiet person, um, and it didn't feel very much, um, perhaps like value in my own voice. Um, mm-hmm. And so I found that through performing, through doing drama, and when I was in high school, it gave me opportunity to use my voice. Now, in a way, I was like performing plays. So right. There were, there were necessarily my own words, but it, it gave me that sensation. It was it was of, a vehicle yeah, for you. To to open up yeah. to to express myself, um, which I think was like hugely valuable in terms of my growth as an artist as I got older. So I'm thirty four mm-hmm. in May. Um, I think that now that I'm a bit older I'm more uh, comfortable using my voice in in a way that expresses me personally and not necessarily like speaking lines or whatnot. Oh, yeah. so it, it's less of performing. Yeah, so it, whether that be like in the spaces that I'm in and the ideas that I have um, in rehearsal or on a show, or if I'm collaborating with a group of people and we're creating a new play mm-hmm. um, we're workshopping, I think it's, it's yeah, opened up like a, an avenue for me to express myself in a way that I, didn't, I don't think I grew up with. So it's, yeah, changed me as a person, for sure. And then I guess, what were the dangers of silence when you're younger for you then? Hmm, yeah. Um, It's, I think that not, not feeling like you, you, you can speak and be heard. Mm -hmm can really like prohibit your 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 confidence your growth as a person um so in that sense like growing up in a way where i it didn't feel confident expressing my own ideas i felt you know somewhat silenced or or as though i needed to sort of you know fit into a box or or be friendly and nice and like not cause any disruption and right. and and not get into conflict like you you just have an aversion to to any kind of conflict because um, 
sometimes when that happens, it feels like you're always at fault. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or because you're not used to like living in that space yeah. of conflict, you're like, oh no, how do I fix it? Like I need to yeah. like, you know, right. make things right and, and make sure everyone is happy and everyone likes me. Um, Which is very tiring. It's very <laughs> tiring. And doesn't work out because you can never make everyone happy. No, and it's like it's it's a huge. Um, it takes a huge toll on your I think your mental state because I would find that like you know I would constantly like reflect on things that I had done or said that like maybe maybe uh, offended someone or hurt someone's feelings. Yeah. So you're constantly like weighing. Um, Weighing everyone else else's emotions around you um, and putting yeah. that above your own, mm-hmm. um, which is like it's a it's a huge huge weight that you carry if you if you live your life like mm-hmm. that. And so slowly breaking out of that and being like, you know what, I it's okay that I disagree with that person and feeling comfortable in that disagreement. Yeah. Um, and being like and and knowing that that disagreement doesn't mean that it's not an entire ref it's not an entire referendum no on your entire relationship or the way you exist in the world exactly it's just it's a difference in opinion yeah essentially so so you know getting to a state where you can be okay with with that Yeah. yeah and like learning how to pick your battles and what's really important to you and what's you consider worth it i guess but that's also just kind of sounds like the process of growing up. <laughs> yeah, sure. But yeah, and I wonder, like, in that process of growing mm-hmm. up, how much is how much of that is specific to my culture as a half Japanese woman, um, or and as a woman, like a, mm-hmm. a person of color, like, or is it just I don't know? It's it's really like gray and hard to say. Yeah. I think. But trying to discover your voice and that process of discovery being stifled yeah is a form of trauma i think yeah yeah and i wonder like now that i think about it i i also i skipped a grade when i was in um elementary i think i skipped like grade six or something Mm -hmm. um in moving around as a kid and so and i was also like a short person so physically i was much smaller than a lot of the people around me and moved around a lot as a kid so I wonder as well if that has affected my confidence in speaking up for myself Mm -hmm. um you know if you're if you're if you've been the new kid at a high school you know that that terror that fear I mean even today I go back to a high school and I'm like I'm gonna get bullied I'm pretty sure they want to bully me like like, I don't know high school students are terrifying I mean it's an entire world unto itself where you think like this is the most important like day in day out it's like the most important thing going on in the world right and in one aspect it's not just because when as soon as you leave high school you realize how much bigger the world is yeah but i mean sometimes i feel like as you get older you forget what it's like to be youthful in the terms of like not having the experience of going through it and it's like no like when people like high school is like my world it's like that makes sense because you spend so much time in like this one building right (laughs) yeah yeah it's not until until you go to post-secondary university college that you realize the world is much bigger than that (laughs) yeah i grew up in the west end Mm -hmm. um so the geographically it was like fairly isolating yeah um a lot of my friends uh none of us drove because everything was walking distance and we all lived you in had apartments and everything you needed yeah yeah we had everything we needed within you know like a two kilometer radius and so it wasn't until i started going to langara and ubc that i was like oh that's where main street is oh that's what commercial drive looks like <laughs> like i started taking public transit yeah. and expanding my horizons so to speak in terms of my social network and my geographic location yeah so it was really uh, it was it was like new terrain for your life totally yeah <laughs> so i always find it like curious when folks um remain quite close to 
where they grew up. Where they grew up and their and their you know social circles from high school because it's I I mean I I just I haven't had that hasn't been my experience. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine it being my experience at this point. No. No, I'm the same. Like I know some people from high school, like they live in the same neighborhood. Yeah. Their kids are probably going to go to the same high school. Yeah. And, and it's like... And not to knock it. No, that's great, fair, but like, that ain't for me. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's a different, um, like, a different road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, go back to the broader idea of art as activism. Um, what was the process for you in regards to personally accepting, I guess, the responsibility that comes with creating something that... I, how do I want to word this? Creating something that has more weight to it, I guess, than just, as we were talking about earlier, just for purposes of entertainment. Yeah. Um, so I was at a place in my career um, where, and I did air quotations here, <laughs> um, because I don't know, like being an actor is a funny kind of job. Um, it's fluid and you work for six weeks and you stop and you you do your Joe job um like it's yeah anyhow I should just be proud of the fact that I'm an actor and just say with confidence that I'm an actor say with your chest (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so I was at a point in in my career where uh I was sort of a hired gun I would work on projects and and just wait for the phone to ring or wait for an audition and and um I saw uh, an opportunity where, or a realization, I, I suppose, where I could create my own work and create mm-hmm. something that is important to me and meaningful um, on a larger scale, perhaps. Um, Did you see something lacking? I think in like your world, I guess. Yeah, I suppose it was. There's a huge amount of. Um, satisfaction in knowing that you can create something with a group of people that yeah. you have put together yourself mm-hmm. um, and and to know that like the thing that you create will perhaps be part of a larger conversation or that may resonate with a community and that you don't need outside help yeah. to do that and you're fully capable That's of like right. your own group to it's, do that it's a sense of empowerment mm-hmm. like truly um, and so I saw the creation of the show Japanese Problem um, as as a way to really yeah bring together a group of artists that that I feel were perhaps underrepresented um, a history that's underrepresented and to really center it um, in your voices yeah center the voices in this narrative in this story um, and then present it in a way that's unusual um, we did it site specifically at Hastings Park in the livestock building. Um, yeah, so I think I think that it's uh, when when you're not when you're not getting the work that you that you want to be getting, mm-hmm. I think you just you take the the onus to create it for yourself. You make it for yourself. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You. I mean, yeah. we make it for for others, but we make it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, what was it like collaborating on making Japanese Problem? It was, um, it was a process. Uh, we, I I worked with Joanna Garfinkel and, um, we, we began with doing research. Mm -hmm. Um, So we took a trip to the interior and visited various, like, um, internment locations and did some interviews with people and um, while we were doing research we were also um, creating uh, relationships or partnerships with folks within the Japanese Canadian community um, just to let them know what we were up to and yeah. what we're interested in in bringing to the table and the show that we're interested mm-hmm. in creating um, and so there was a lot of like pre-collaboration before we actually got in the room to workshop the show um and those those initial partnerships that we created i think were instrumental in the success of the show um and they continue to this day 
Um, then once we got in the room, we, I think it's important to say, um, I don't have a personal connection to the Japanese Canadian internment, and neither does Joanna. Um, so we knew that experience was different. Yeah. Then yeah. It was it it was different than perhaps like Nicole we interviewed yeah. in December, um, but we knew that we we had to approach the situation with um, sensitivity and mm -hmm. understanding um, of that history. And we couldn't tell the story without the folks that are directly affected by the history. Right. Um, and so it was, it was an effort to find people that, that fit and that were willing to um, develop and create the show with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's been it's been interesting because in this in this sort of gray area in the beginning where we're uns unsure as to whether or not we're going to receive funding, it was mm -hmm. always sort of a fallback plan that like okay, well, one of the things that we value is paying people for their right. time, and if we don't have the money to pay the people, then then ultimately it's going to end up being like just me yeah. doing a show by myself and like what what implications does that raise when I don't have a personal connection to the history so but the reality of trying to produce a show and make a show yeah. doesn't allow for that I guess encompassing of what the full vision of yeah what the show right. is trying to aspire to be exactly yeah. exactly and so so in you know there are many phases of like what what are what's our plan if we don't mm -hmm. receive the funding what's our plan next now that we've had some success and so it's for 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 me um, when we remounted the show it was a bit of a struggle because I understood that like we did receive the funding and mm -hmm. the, the show was a, a success um, but to just like clock that I know that I present as the center of this piece and as you know, the face of Japanese problem and how do I remove myself from that center at this point yeah. in in a way where I can make space for the folks that are directly affected by the history to occupy that space. Yeah, or it's like maybe not I guess decentering also works, but I guess what you're also trying to say is like, how do I turn the other people who I've collaborated, how do I turn their microphones up? So exactly. people just don't listen, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. Because I feel like one of the, I guess, messy or non-nuanced ways people speak around activism and like, it's like the idea of like, who gets to speak? And it's right. like, as we were talking earlier, who has the privilege of speaking? Mm -hmm. But it's always, if you can't find someone to speak for a particular community, I feel like that all that means is that you're looking in the wrong places. Right. Because everyone has a voice to speak. Mm -hmm. You just have to choose to listen to them. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So so it was I mean that that journey continues. Mm -hmm. The most recent time that we did the show, we took it to a Landscapes of Injustice conference, uh, which is an academic program or research initiative out of University of Victoria mm -hmm. um, and that was the first time that I didn't I didn't play the main character we, we got Alyssa Hirose to play Sam and I played the nurse I played Nicole's part okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah it's it's been it's been like as as an artist and interesting sort mm -hmm. of like understanding of like oh yeah for the for this thing that I that that we created the like ultimate vision that I have for it would mean yeah me stepping back and turning up the microphones or amplifying yeah. the voices of the other folks that are involved in the in the production mm -hmm. um, so yeah it's it's a living document it's a work in progress the show is always changing and and being affected by the stories that we gather in in uh, talkbacks and, and discussions after the show, and and in the new collaborators that we bring on, mm -hmm. you know, we we tailor the show or investigate 
each each person's personal history. History. Yeah. Yeah. So. And what I like about that aspect or that idea of I don't know, kind of I guess the way I would describe it is an active way of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Is even with like if you think about TV shows you like to watch or like movies or books, every time you sit down to watch it or read something, you're arriving at the story at a new point because you yourself, in theory, are coming at it in a new light yeah. or like a new way of feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess that's also one way to be like, this type of work is never done. Because it's not like you just cross the finish line and it's like, okay, I'm an ally. I'm good. I don't need to do anything else. Right. It continues. For sure. (laughs) Like we, Joanne and I still sit on the Hastings Park Committee and we just went to a a meeting that they had with the P&E about um, the P&E is looking into uh, redeveloping their space and and, um, redeveloping the livestock building itself and and they're interested in hearing from the Japanese Canadian community and and, and about what ways that they mm-hmm. can <coughs> elevate that history within that space itself. Um, so we're talking about doing some kind of interpretive display. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Taiko community is interested in having a Taiko rehearsal space there. Um, yeah, so like the the connections, the relationships, the activism continues beyond, beyond the one show. story or like yeah. Yeah, one so idea. Is, yeah, which is really like for me a, a satisfying mm-hmm. and beautiful part of creating this show. Mm-hmm. Because I think one thing that gets lost when people do talk about activism or like what their idea of activism is, or resistance, or these movements that are vital and important, is that. The more you dive into them, the more like research you do about them, what you start to realize is they aren't universal truths, they aren't unvaluable. What a lot of it is when you're in it or like finding about the finding out about the work, it's a lot of contradictions, mm. it's a lot of questions because there's no one right idea. Yeah. For what a particular community needs. Absolutely. Because it's made up out of a bunch of people. And just because that sounds scary or like, oh, then how can anything be done to like change things? The institutions, systems in place that like we live by today that people are trying to change or resist, those play by the same rules mm-hmm. as activisms and these movements in so much so as they were created by people. Mm-hmm. They're not perfect. They're not from like a grace of God. And it's like we are infinitely adaptable and yeah. we can choose something that's different. Yeah. 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 It's interesting you bring that up because even within the JC community there are different opinions and still, you know, the successful way forward in terms of redress and, and how to compensate for all of the, the hurt, the pain, the suffering, the, the diaspora, everything. How yeah. do you, and I guess in doing the show, we, ha- we realized there, you're right, there is not one answer. Every, it's subjective. Everyone has their own lived experience, lived their experience. own experiences, their own knowledge, yeah. their own creativity, the way they approach the world, their own values. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like no one person is wholly unique, creative, mm-hmm. or smart enough to solve all of the injustices in the world. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's heavy. And to like understand that you kind of have to be okay with that. That, that yeah. I mean, there. I'm sure folks that have seen the show that are like, I I disagree with the way that they've presented that. Um, so what do you do? You, you besides be a sounding board, be, yeah. being there to like receive that critique, that that information, and then hopefully address it if you can. But yeah, it's it's sensitive yeah. and difficult. 
yeah, when there are differing voices within a community. But that's that's life. That's, that's everything. That's everything. <laughs> yeah. And like, if you get everything that you ever wanted, like you're probably a shitty person because right. <laughs> you've never <laughs> had to think about your place in the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, back to what you said about like the responses to the show and stuff. I just like stick with you. Or, like, stick out? Yeah. Um, I think that it's so, it was so important for us to do the show mm -hmm. in like a 15 minute version at the Powell Street Festival. Because until we had done it for an audience, we didn't realize um, the importance or value in mm -hmm. the comment cards, the feedback cards that people can leave. And the the after show talk yeah. with the audience, the dialogue. Um, we realized that the dialogue after the show was perhaps as important or more important than the show itself because it offered an, a, a, a space for people who were, you know, descendant of this history yeah. to speak to their trauma, to speak to their, you know, experience um, or or to just sit and be in community together. Um, so the first year we did it, we had several Yonsei, so that's like Nicole's generation, mm -hmm. fourth generation, Japanese Canadian, um, who would talk about how their family never really spoke about this history. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was quite quiet within the family because everyone had this general consensus to like, to the past is the past the past is the past and like let's move on and let's be the model minority or whatever or, or, it's, or it's like the idea that like since you're fourth generation it's enough time has passed yeah in between yeah. this time that like you're born into a time where it's not really on anyone's mind yeah yeah and so and so it was it was a relief i think for some of these young say to 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 like get contact with that history and get context of themselves of what it means to be japanese canadian right. yeah yeah absolutely and so those i think those initial responses the first year around were like quite profound mm -hmm. and quite moving um and then the second time we did the show uh we we did a performance in steveston um at the cannery and uh we had Actually, a fair amount of like white Canadians came to the show, um, older adults, mm -hmm. in addition to like the JC community mm -hmm. in Steveston. Um, but these were these white Canadian folks were uh, people that had you know friends that were Japanese Canadian right. or, um, and I found those their responses at the talkbacks quite, um, quite moving. I think because in a way their perception of that past had also somewhat been silenced or not unpacked or not talked or about like or not expressed. A, not a full history of what yeah. it was. Yeah, and so, and so there were a couple of people that spoke. One older gentleman was like, oh yeah, you know, one day my friend was just... Gone? Just gone, just taken, or, you know... Shipped off? Like, shipped yeah. off. Um, and he he hadn't really like he was in tears and like hugely emotional mm -hmm. and you know I think he he it unearthed yeah something something that... had had shifted or changed or he was finally in a space where he could let out that so response let, like let it go yeah how yeah. he was feeling about losing a friend at like that age yeah and the implications of like what. Or, or, or to see within the show like what that friend potentially went through mm -hmm. and, and... Or it's like my friend got taken away for nothing he could control. Yeah, yeah. Another woman in Seaston also mm -hmm. spoke about how, you know, uh, one day she moved into this empty house that was entirely furnished. Mm -hmm. And this was a, like, a perspective that we hadn't heard yet within our top backs and within our research where a white Canadian is, is talking about how moving into know, a vacant poem of yeah, a former of a, yeah of a former Japanese Canadian family that's been removed um, and and she she said oh you know like the the, the beds 
were there and the, the linens and the kitchen was stocked and um, like we we came from like a poor family and so when we moved into this house we thought it was like curious but mm -hmm. fantastic because it offered them the ability to yeah. to thrive as a young family and it, so it's and and the guilt and the shame that she carries because of that to this day is just like it's, how do you navigate that how do you navigate that and, it, and and also like in what other context has she had the opportunity to speak about it mm -hmm. frankly in that way or to put such a material like example of like privilege yeah yeah <laughs> like, it was it yeah. was really interesting and striking um even when we took the show to soul pepper in toronto um a curious thing was happening at the talkbacks where you know we do the show mm -hmm. in, in doubles so we'll yeah. do the show we'll talk for 20 minutes and then we'll reset so. and do it again and so oftentimes we would have to kind of quite quickly wrap up the dial the after show dialogue um and more often than not uh someone within the audience would be so overcome with the need to speak yeah that they would stand up with their hands hand up in the air and be like well wait 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 i have something that i need to say um my my father was the owner of a beet farm in Alberta and we had Japanese Canadians come to our farm and you know work, work, live, work for free yeah. and live in our chicken coop and just like just it it really highlighted this like this need not only for um, the JC community to mm -hmm. to speak about and unpack the history but for the white Canadian community to be like hey this was like a messed up time in our history yeah. and, and mm -hmm. I carry some guilt and some shame surrounding it and, and mm -hmm. this is I feel like my opportunity to speak to that right yeah. which is kind of interesting and acknowledge it, yeah. you know it's, it's interesting mm -hmm. and I guess I know I asked Nicole this because um, she spoke about some of the same stories you just touched on yeah um, but it's like what do you want people to do with that after the show is done, after the talkbacks are done. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Because it's it's a weird thing to grapple with. It's like, okay, what do we do after the story is finished? Right, right. Um, yeah, how do, you, how do you be an ally and proceed in your life when you now have this information, right? It's like, do you, do you continue to, to share that information with you know, other people who might not know about it. Yeah. Do you advocate for like this history to be included in high school curriculum? Mm -hmm. um, do you maybe not do either of those and simply um, see the parallels of this uh, oppression, marginalization happening in other communities yeah. and say, okay, that happened then. This is what's happening today, um, and and I need to to act yeah. today on these things that are happening mm -hmm. immediately. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, the answer to that is so vast, it could be anything, but I think that's the thing that people get kind of overwhelmed by when yeah. they go to a piece that they feel has moved them uh, mm -hmm. to want to do something, to want to help. Um, it's like, where do you start? How do you, how do you jump in? Right. What do you because do? Because it's an ocean. Yeah, there's just, there's so much injustice in the world that like, yeah, how do you how do you even, how do you navigate it? How do you even navigate it? <laughs> yeah, or know what to do? How do you move forward? Or like, yeah. how do you know? And how do you not get get entirely overwhelmed? Like, overwhelmed or like, um, like a deer caught in the headlights yeah. about it, you know? And I sometimes feel that way myself, where I'm like, oh, where fuck. The, like, I don't even know where to start. Like, no. the world is messed. <laughs> so, but I mean, small steps. Because education. Because as much as aid, free agency, and choice is important, there are limits to what individually you can do on your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that shouldn't discourage anyone from like wanting to do the right thing. But what we do have the power and capacity and if it's proven, it's like, okay, we have, we can choose who we decide to make powerful mm-hmm. or prominent. And it's like, how do we demand better of those people mm-hmm. that do have that power or have that privilege or have that prominence or the platform? Yeah. yeah. And if they don't want to do those things because they benef- benefited from the system, which like you know what okay how do we mobilize to put people in place who do care about the same things yeah yeah it's interesting you say that because i feel like as someone who is half white i feel like i hold some power in terms of privilege Mm -hmm. in being a poc self-identified poc it's like I've been struggling a little bit, not struggling, but I've been thinking about, thinking about the past, yeah. even just few weeks and chatting with Joanna, my creative partner, being like, dude, am I even Japanese Canadian? I don't know. Like I'm now like, I feel accepted and embedded in mm-hmm. the JC community in Vancouver, but yeah. like the people that are my age in the community are Yonsei, they have connection to this mm-hmm. history. Am I some kind of imposter? Like what, where is my place mm-hmm. here? And um, knowing that, like, I'm I'm half Japanese, but I can also occupy white spaces in a way that, like, other Japanese people can't. Yeah, perhaps can't because, like, I look more white, and like, what what um, what responsibility lies with that in terms mm-hmm. of that that level of privilege? Um, right. And what can I do to like further the cause? It's like, how did your proximity to white hetero male power? Yeah. How do you use that instead of just like, oh, it's easier for me to take like this half step closer to it? Yeah. How do I mobilize yeah. my whiteness? <laughs> right. In a way, I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's but it's something that yeah I've been thinking about. I'm like, what what is that? Or also like. If I am a hired gun, if I am an actor on a project, like, I, I, I wonder, or I'm, yeah, I wonder to what degree am I hired because of my diversity, mm-hmm. you know? I'm, it's like, am I filling a box? Or like a, tra- or like a check mark? But still it, kind yeah. of a safe bet because I'm like, still a kind of... You'll be accepted by like, dominant culture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's an interesting... Oh, a thing to to like reflect yeah. on for sure, because then you start to feel like, oh well, how do I make sure that I continue my artistic practice in a way that is like respectful and meaningful and and not a, how do I not, not sell out creation? How do I like not sell out all of my values? That yeah, I have? yeah, yeah. It's complicated. Like, I don't have an answer for you for. And I don't have an. And I don't know that anyone perhaps has an answer. But, like, going back to your point about, like, you feeling if you're Japanese enough. I think, I think I said this in the intro episode, um, is that the idea of, like, being Asian Canadian, so much of it is feeling being caught in between. Yeah. Two worlds of, like, oh, I'm not Asian enough, and, like, I'm not Canadian enough. Mm -hmm. Like, what am I? And I argue that if you're a person of Asian descent, born on the land that is called Canada. You entirely are something new. And it's not your job to fit into either of those boxes. It's your job to figure out what does this new identity mean and figure that out for yourself. Yeah. And I think I also said this, but like, I don't care if you don't know how to use chopsticks. I don't care if you know. Can't speak Japanese. Yeah, I don't care if you know your ancestral tongue. Yeah. I don't care if you've ever been back to your ancestral home, although everyone I think should. Um, what I care about is like, do you know the issues mm. affecting the various Asian Canadian communities today? Yeah. And do you know the historical context that goes into that struggle? Yeah. And your own place within that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think. Like, certainly that's 
when it come when it came to creating Japanese problem, that was my my point of entry was as a Canadian having a lack of knowledge of that mm -hmm. history um, and seeing a problem there, being like, this is we need to do better, and we can create this piece of art that like. Yeah. It's, it's like, history, it's like history. the questioning of if you only get presented with one side of history, yeah. you have to question who's telling mm -hmm. that history mm -hmm. and who is left out of it. Right. Yeah. We've been kind of talking about it in a general theme, but how do you navigate the emotional labor from all of this work? Yeah. And how do you, I guess, it's very easy if you're in the work to marry all of your identities into it and i guess how do you deal how do you navigate all the emotional labor that comes with this and also how do you in a way keep them separate so like mm. you yourself don't drown with yeah. it's i mean to be perfectly frank i feel drowning now um which is like I don't know, that's the truth of being yeah. an artist who, like, I, I'm running this theater company with Joanna, um, we are developing a new show and we're hoping to continue to tour Japanese Problem um, and also, like, trying to keep my film and TV career right. um, alive and afloat and, <laughs> and take, like, paying acting gigs, which is great. So it's like, it's, it's, it's overwhelming in terms of the, um, just the amount of stuff I have yeah. on my plate right now in terms of like the emotional tax of like performing the show, I think, like performing Japanese Problem. I think it was like, it, it from a technical standpoint, mm -hmm. it was like boot camp for me yeah. um, as a producer, um, collaborator, uh, just a performer, mm -hmm. all, all of the different um, roles you had. Yeah, yeah, roles in terms of, of doing the show. Mm -hmm. I had some hand in everything, yeah. um, along with Joanna and like the other collaborators. Yeah. but. Joanna and I took on sort of the lion's share of the, of the work um, in terms of producing. And so it's, I think where the emotional um, like difficulty for someone who has like a personal connection to that history would mm -hmm. be different from like how difficult emotionally it might be for me to yeah. continue to produce the show because the and and perform the show the the topic is is heavy and we're doing it in we were doing it in the historical space um and the space itself like there there are ghosts there there's an energy in that space that is like you know <laughs> like i think i wrote for the thing i wrote for it was like after the performance is done for most performances like you want to applause and show gratitude to the performance but i think i wrote it was like it felt like being in church or like you don't clap for like anything because it was like yes yeah. it was a form of sacred yeah it was like it was sacred yeah 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 absolutely um so i think yeah i think there is an aspect of, of performing the show that is just like it's a hard one. It's a hard one. When we've done it two years in a row mm -hmm. in the space and the second year for an extended run, mm -hmm. um, I think by the end of it, all of us were pretty tired, mm -hmm. pretty emotionally exhausted. Because like the show itself, the performing aspect of it is difficult. But then it's it's all of us were present for all of the after show discussions as well, which yeah. is a it hugely like emotionally heavy mm -hmm. because we're opening that space for folks to talk about their experience and then we're holding all of that yeah, that experience and, and oftentimes taking it right into the next show that we're doing and so there are times 
where I would just like, right after the talk is done, I would just peace out to like my own little corner and have like a really big cry. And then you have to do it turn again. around and do the show again. And that's not sustainable and not maybe no. healthy and um, requires some investigation mm -hmm. in terms of, of remounting the show mm -hmm. in future. We did have, for the second um, time we performed the show in the space, we had a hired, um, like a mental health professional mm -hmm. to be on site in, in case anyone was having yeah. a difficult time, then they could do a one-on-one -on -one with our mental health professional, or she could, you know, moderate yeah. and speak to the group as a whole. Right. Uh, but somewhat just as like a, yeah. like a, as a resource in the space. Um, but oftentimes you, you neglect to sort of like, when you're within it, you don't really see that, oh, it's actually me. It's me that needs that mental health yeah, right. support right now. And I need to be um, aware enough to request it or ask mm -hmm. for it or be like, I need 15 minutes to just like collect myself and my thoughts. So. Or just even like just come down from yeah. whatever level you were at before. Yeah. So it's, and you know, I, I think part of that mm -hmm. <laughs> emotional instability is probably born out of just just general like exhaustion. Yeah. You know, it's it's performance tiring. Performance and, and production yeah. and uh, all, putting putting on a show is difficult. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge like um, undertaking for where I was it, at that point in my career. Yeah. Um, like a lot of firsts, a lot of things that I'd never experienced before in terms of like mm -hmm. community outreach and producing and touring and you know just communications, marketing, like yeah. everything, accounting. <laughs> like mm -hmm. just the list goes on. Where it just the things that just there's always another thing that pops up yeah. when you're like doing it yourself. Huge and especially of learning and growth of having two years. a tiny team, yeah, like you did. You didn't have an institution, or no, it was just the two of us. And we're like, I'm proud to say, like, out of that, we've become a registered nonprofit. We have a board of directors, mm -hmm. um, um, made up primarily of you know, yeah. female non binary yeah. POC uh, folks, and it's just like, ah, it's. Yeah. Incredibly um, satisfying, and I yeah. feel very proud of it. So I guess last question I'll ask you. Um, I guess in the whirlwind of all of this, how do you take care of yourself to make sure <laughs> you don't like drown yeah, in it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, oh, I want to go on holiday, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is like okay, admittedly like a privileged place yeah. to sort of speak from. Is like yeah, I need to take two weeks off. I deserve that. And but, I, mean, but I, mean, I think that, like, for yeah. for my heart and my soul, like, uh, if I'm if I'm not on a contract, I am like working at my Joe job. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly auditioning. Right. Um, weekends, days off are like not necessarily days off. They're days that you like run around. And I mean, if you're an adult, you don't. Yeah, you don't really, <laughs> unless you're like really on holiday and you yeah. have your cell phone back oh, in, yeah. at home, like then yeah, it's, it's, it's nonstop. And as an actor, there is this, or performer, there's this like perception that, that- If you're not creating, then, then you're, you're not, not working. Yeah. And, and if you are working, then you are required or expected to put personal life, everything else goes on hold. There, there's no balance. Serve, yeah, yeah, while you serve the production, the show, yeah. the whatever that you're working on, like, um, and so you you end up in this weird headspace of like, oh yeah, I'll go I'll go to my friend's wedding in September unless I get a gig, mm -hmm. in which case I have to do the gig because they offered it to me. Right. You know, it's sort of it's like your, it's your, like your, oh I'm grateful for the work. Yeah. Thus yeah. Everything else becomes secondary, which isn't. <laughs> it's not the greatest, but the priorities yeah. get skewed and confused. Yeah. Um, and yet I, I'm finding, like, as I get older, I'm, a, I'm hopefully getting a little bit better at being like, I have to say no to this thing because I think it's really important for me to, like, have that week off or to go to this person's wedding mm -hmm. or to go and visit my mother. To or, have a fully formed life. Yeah, to do these other things that, that nourish me and inspire me in other ways in order to, like, feed my artistic practice because yeah. I will be useless if I am burnt out. Not useless, but, like, 
You're not going to be. I won't be creating yeah. anything worthwhile if I'm if I'm so exhausted that yeah. I I can't think straight and mm -hmm. and so. You're more than what you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I think. And especially with contract work or that type of work, it's very. It's easy to get yeah. into that rhythm of just like going saying yes to things, yeah. saying yes to everything. Um, so yeah, I think I think the self care is is all about finding those quiet moments, and it might not even necessarily be two weeks off on a vacation. It's like I am going to take thirty minutes before I go to sleep and mm -hmm. read this book instead of cruising Instagram, right. liking posts and commenting so that my algorithm is like convenient <laughs> for my. Thing and I want, yeah. you know. Like, I can't have this be my personality at like two in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like getting out of bed to go to the yeah. washroom. Yeah. How do, you, how do you disengage from like the hustle? Yeah. Um, and just have quiet time. Maybe mm -hmm. it's meditation. I don't know. Probably. But I mean, capitalism is a scam. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's like that way of thinking is a product of it. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, like, we're not going to have a new economic system, like, anytime soon. Yeah. So, yeah. we have to figure all of this out. Yeah. 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 Okay, I guess last thing, um, where can people find you? What do you got going on? Um, right now, I am going to be in a show at the Fire Hall Art Center uh, called Lights. Um, and that'll go up in May. And... Yeah, I'm also developing a new show with our theater company, Universe mm -hmm. Limited. It's called To the Sea, um, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, yeah, or you can find me on Instagram. I'm just going to plug my Instagram. Go for it. <laughs> it's at Yoshi Bancroft. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you for saying yes to this and Thanks hanging out. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Music is by Francis Arevalo. Logo designed by Gracie Messina. Keep updated on Instagram at Agents in Space. Listen and subscribe to Agents in Space on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And to see other platforms it is available on, go to Anchor FM slash Agents in Space. The title of this week's podcast is from a Clint Smith poem of the same name. The takeaway message this week is one line that has been on my mind. Silence is the residue of fear. I understand a lot of people are scared right now, and even if they aren't sick, they aren't okay either. This quote is a reminder that silence out of fear will lay the foundation to isolation in times like this. Don't let it. Reach out to your support systems. That's why we cultivate and build them in the first place. This is what they're, this is what they're here for. My name is Irving Chong. This is Asians in Space. See you next week. Until then, we out.